Well, this morning we are continuing our study through Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're only going to be covering one verse this morning. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. So go ahead and turn there. It's just one verse, but it is such an important one verse. Important for us to consider Paul and his purpose and motivation in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Really in in why he lived and how he lived. But also important as we consider our own purpose and motivation in life. Last week we talked briefly about our purpose statement as a church, preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an important thing to consider for us. Are we motivated? Are we people who are truly motivated by the gospel? Remember what we have seen so far in just the few verses that we've covered in this letter. Paul is defending his apostleship. Why? Because there are rival teachers who are making claims about him and about his motives. These rival teachers have challenged, even attacked, Paul's integrity, his motives, his vocation, claiming that he wasn't really an apostle. And even his gospel message, saying that his, his message was only a secondary gospel handed to him by men rather than Christ. Paul has been called by these rival teachers, in a sense, a people pleaser. But what Paul is laying out in this letter, especially as he emphasizes again and again that there is only one gospel, is that the rival teachers are the ones who are people pleasers. They're trying to escape the cost of true discipleship. So let's look at the text and work through it, this verse together. So stand and read as I, or follow along as I read Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for your word. Thank you that you entrusted it to us. It is a grace. It's grace that you have given us your word to know you, to learn from you, to follow you. So we pray that you help us in this time. You give us ears to hear and hearts to believe that you are and that you reign. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, I want to begin um, here with this verse with, a, with an honest note. I fear man, truly. I am a people pleaser. I care far more than I want to admit or want to care what people think about me. If you struggle with that, you may know. It can be consuming to live that way. certainly plays into my anxiety in life. I'll be in a situation where I know that I need to or I should confront a 
uh, certain situation and fear kicks in. My whole body will literally get pins and needles. It is delightful. At its worst, I will feel deep heaviness, stress over it. I don't like confronting people because I don't like for people to not like me. I care what they think. I care what they will say. I care about their thoughts and feelings in those moments more than I'm thinking about the one true gospel and what God thought of me. To send his son to this earth to take the false accusations, accusations that I actually deserve, to take those upon himself and then die for my sins, to die for my fear of man. It's a constant reminder for me. In in 2007, I went with some friends to northern Iraq. It was a trip that uh, was meant to observe some some things that were happening there at the time, some mission that was starting, and then some other local churches and NGOs that were, um, things that were taking place through those. And, And overall, it was a wonderful trip. I'm so grateful that I was able to go. But in the midst of that trip, I wrote in a journal after one of the days there. We spent, we spent one of the days in the market and city of Erbil. And, and my note in my journal that day is just one sentence. And it's this. It was difficult for me to see today that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now why did I write that? Because my fear, my fear of man had risen right to the surface. I was honestly terrified at moments. There were moments there where I was truly afraid. And I tell you all of that because I want to be honest with you as I'm preaching this verse this morning. But also because I want you to know that if this text comes to you today like a punch in the stomach, you're not alone. Fear is a real thing. That being said, we must be people who fight to live and to love in the way that we see Paul living and loving others. As he ultimately lives for Christ and loves Christ above all things. Verse 10 is is a verse that comes um, after this section really as an explanation of verses 6 through 9. Paul has warned them against alternative gospels. And he says, not that there is another gospel, there isn't another gospel, but he's referring to it that way. And he's done that, he's warned them because he is not a people pleaser. Paul has just said what about the rival teachers? Let them be accursed. Let them be accursed. He's called a curse upon anyone who preaches a gospel contrary to the one that they had received. Any gospel that is contrary to the one 
true gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, let them be accursed. And I think we, and Paul's assuming that these Galatians can agree that that's not what a people pleaser does. That's not what a people pleaser writes or says. People pleasing would be bending to whatever you hear the other person saying, as if Paul was like, yeah, yeah, I could see where you're coming from. It's probably fine to just go ahead with your uh, circumcising demands. But that's not Paul. He says, anathema. Let them be condemned. Let them be accursed. So he's using rhetorical questions here to emphasize that he is not trying to please people. For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? And apparently the Jewish opponents would claim that Paul did not preach the whole gospel, that he left out the importance, the necessity of circumcision. They believed and were saying that he left that out, left out circumcision to win favor with the Gentiles in Galatia. He would leave that out so that these Gentiles would would see the gospel as more winsome. So Paul starts off this letter defending his apostolic authority and here in this verse refutes the notion that he is pleasing people, that he's a people pleaser. Now, we might wonder, doesn't Paul sometimes make an emphasis on the importance of pleasing others? Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Even in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So could we say that Paul sort of is saying in those texts that he is, in fact, a people pleaser? And the answer to that, I would say, is absolutely no. It's important to make a distinction. At no point in these verses that I just read is Paul condoning, bending, or distorting the gospel in order to please people. There's no self-protection at the cost of true gospel presentation and proclamation in those verses. And that's what he's being accused of in Galatia. He's being accused of changing the gospel. Because people are saying, no, there's more than Christ needed for salvation. See, in in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 10 and Philippians 2, Paul's saying, because Christ has done everything, I don't need to live for myself any longer. 
I can lay down my attempts at impressing him and trying to earn his approval. And I can lay down my rights as a human. Just as he laid down his own life for me. I, I, this is Paul. I want to reflect the way that Jesus lived. And so I will serve others so that they might see how good Christ and the true message of hope in the gospel really is. In fact, we know that whenever there was any conflict between pleasing the Lord and pleasing people, Paul wanted to please the Lord rather than men. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. On the other hand, it's his rivals in Galatia who are concerned with pleasing people. Galatians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Chapter 6, verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul here is saying he is a servant of Christ. Look at the last statement in verse 10. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is important. If, Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, if that was my aim, if that was my concern, then I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, what's he saying? If I were still trying to please man, I would never have become a servant, or literally, that word is a slave. If I were still trying to please man, I would never have become a servant or slave of Christ. And what does he mean by that? He's saying this, have you examined my life? Have you looked at my life, Paul is saying, and what it means for me to submit to Christ? This is not the life of a people pleaser. As a Christian, Paul is persecuted, severely persecuted. He's beaten because of his commitment to the truth, to the one gospel of Jesus. It is that commitment to the gospel that has brought such suffering to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. This is Paul recounting things that have happened to him because he is a servant of Christ. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, 
danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That is not the resume of a people pleaser. It is, however, the resume of a servant of Christ. Paul, rather than seeking to please people, has seen the worth of Jesus. On the road to Damascus, Paul saw the Lord and his life was completely changed. And from there, as we're going to see over the next weeks, he learned the gospel. He learned the things of Christ. And seeing the truth of the one gospel, Paul says, I'm going to subject myself to you, Jesus. I'm going to submit myself totally to you. Everything for Paul hinges on Christ himself. This is why he writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Christ is all and in all. Christ is everything to Paul. And that's consistent with what Jesus taught. And why it's so important for us to examine our motives and where our allegiance lies. Jesus taught us that allegiance to him must come before all other human ties. And that includes, as we see with Paul in Galatians, before any pressure to keep hostile people happy. Well, the truth is, we are all servants. All of us. We are all serving something or someone. All of us. question is, to whom are you enslaved? Or to what are you enslaved? Who are you truly serving? Or what are you truly serving? Who have you submitted your life to? Or what have you submitted your life to? We live enslaved when we long for the good opinions of others. But we are called to be servants of Christ alone. Consider examples in the gospel accounts of what this means and causes and leads to. In John chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? We learn throughout the Gospels, many people didn't believe in Jesus because they wanted the glory and praise of people more than the glory of God. You think about the story of the blind man that Jesus 
heals in John chapter 9. It's such an incredible story. And in the midst of that story, we get a glimpse at what people pleasing can lead to and what it can cause. The stumbling block that that it is to the gospel. Jesus, in John chapter 9, healed the man, and the religious leaders are ticked. It was the Sabbath. And they considered that work being done on the Sabbath, which was prohibited. So they're questioning this man who was blind and now sees. And then they begin to question the man's parents. And listen to what happens. John chapter 9, beginning with verse 18. The Jews, that's the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. That fear, fear of being kicked out of the synagogue, kept these parents from seeing the worth of Jesus. That Jesus who just healed their son. This man for, who for all of his years had never seen the sun, had never seen a flower, had never seen his parents. And in a moment, Jesus opens his eyes and he sees. And here are his parents too afraid to be kicked out of the synagogue to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus had set their son free. Had been blind his whole life and could see for the first time and their desire to please man kept them from the joy of that moment. Paul says that he's seeking to please God, that he is a servant of Christ. And that's consistent with the message and call that Jesus gave to us. What is the cost of discipleship? What does it mean to seek to please God rather than man? It's a call, just as Paul is saying here, of self-denial. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
That means a self-denial that says, I don't care to live my life for the affirmation of others any longer. I will count others as more significant than myself as Christ has called me to and Christ as all. The rival teachers were seeking to escape the cost of true discipleship. They, they wanted to continue in what they knew. They certainly didn't want to be rejected by their peers and friends, so they kept things as they were. Paul had taken up his cross. He was willing to die to self and others for the sake of Christ. To bear rejection and suffering for Christ. In, in Luke chapter 14, 26 and 27, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, who cannot be my disciple, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, what does that mean? It means this, that Christ is everything. That Christ is all and in all. That we're not seeking approval or direction from others, even our family. No one and nothing comes before Christ. And how are we to think on that? Jesus continues in Luke 14. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. And I want us to consider, throughout the service, we've sung, we've sung songs and we've talked about what Christ has done. What he has accomplished for us. But there's, there's nothing that we could ever do to earn what he has graciously given. That Jesus and Jesus alone is our firm foundation. That the story is written from beginning to end. We win in Christ. But the story is not fully completed yet. Although it's won, although it is certain, although it is accomplished, it is not completed. There is a day coming, a time coming. We're going to sing a song as, 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 as you're dismissed to come and get the bread and the cup and go back to your seat. And the words of the beginning of it are this, on the day when I see all that you have for me, when I see you face to face, there surrounded by your grace, all my fear swept away. There's a day 
coming where everything changes. And our fear of man and our fear of other things and our faults and our failures and our continuous tripping over our own feet will be gone forevermore. And so as we sing and as we prepare our hearts, my encouragement to you is to think on that day. That time that is coming that Jesus has won for you. That his death and resurrection has accomplished for all who come to him in faith. To think on that day. And to think about you and your life as you look ahead to that day. And what truly matters? The opinions of others or the glory of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so gracious to us, Lord. Continue to fail. To continue to forget the goodness of the gospel. We continue to seek approval from others. We ask for your help. We want to be people, Lord, who live for your glory and your glory alone. So help us, Lord, we pray. As we prepare our hearts, as we hold the bread and we hold the cup and we wait for the time where we can partake of it together. Help us. Help us to look ahead with great joy, knowing that you have overcome, that your body was literally broken to set us free, that your blood was literally poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Help us, Lord, to believe. Help us to remember rightly. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.